Let's come on up here. Face each other. Hold hands. Well, it's a beautiful day to gather together before these witnesses and to reflect upon your covenant of love and marriage. How long have you been married now? Uh, two years. Two years. So it's going to be a good reminder for you how to keep moving ahead. Let me remind you of your covenant to one another and how you long to live in your marriage. If I was to speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and to surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. And it's kind. It's not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. And it does not take into account wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things and endures all things. Love never fails. So as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and before these witnesses, I announce you husband and wife for two years. You may now kiss your bride. Amen. Seems like every wedding we get the privilege to be part of This chapter is read, the famous love chapter. And what happens is, because we hear it so often at these weddings, we we start to subtly dismiss it. And if you're like me, I find myself when this chapter and these verses are being read during a wedding, I'm starting to think, I wonder if there's going to be jumbo shrimp in the buffet. We just get used to it. And again, the chapter is sweet, but we dismiss it. I don't want us to dismiss this chapter this morning, and Paul does not want us to dismiss this chapter. This chapter is the center. It's the core of everything that Paul is trying to get at with the church in Corinth and with us as followers of Jesus Christ on how to love each other how to love a broken world, how to glorify God in the way that we love one another. This sums up everything. It's real life in Christ. It's real life lived in community. And you see, because Christ has transformed us, because he has made us a new creation, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit by the love of God to now love this way. All of these characteristics, all these traits that we just read, these are true of Christ. This is how he lived his life out. And it is I who no longer live, 
but Christ who is living through me, right? And so as children of God, empowered by the Spirit, we are able to live out this love that is spoken of in chapter 13. And we not only experience the love of Christ as we sang this morning, as we receive His love, we are now meant to pour it out and live out for Him. Paul says at the end of chapter 12, in light of all the spiritual gifts that are going on and and what's better, what's more powerful, what do I want to be using in the competition, Paul says, listen, I want to show you a better way. And the better way is love. And let us not dismiss it so easily as we read these verses. In order for us to love like Christ, we... We must remain in the vine, John 15, right? He's the source. We're to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Because one of the things as we read these verses, and very quickly we get to as we realize, this is outside of my natural ability. I can't muster up enough strength to love this way. We're absolutely dependent upon Christ in our lives and the power of the Spirit. Father, I just pray this morning for us as a, as a family of Christ. I pray for us as, as children who long to be obedient to you. Father, would your spirit pour out in this room and would you minister to us? Teach us, Father, how to love better. Forgive us for not loving like you loved. And Lord, would your spirit move us, prompt us, that we would seek the better way. And so, Father, we seek your heart this morning, that we may love like you. In your beautiful and precious name, amen. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, basically he's getting to this point of, if I was to reach such a lofty place, but have not love, it's, it's nothing, I, I gain nothing. If I was to come to Anna and say, Anna, I'm going to wash your feet because I love you, but I really want to make sure the church is watching <laughs> and that they notice how much I love you. Don't you hear my love for you? Don't you receive my love? I'm nothing but a clanging cymbal. That's all it is. It's noise. If I go out and I offer my body up to be burned, the scriptures say, but have not love, it is a gain of nothing. You see, Paul, I believe, was in Athens, and while he's in Athens, there was actually a tomb there. It's called the Indian tomb. And that was of a man who martyred himself. He thought he could reach immortality in the, in the square of Athens, and he, he lit himself on fire so that he would die and become immortal. And I think Paul's reflecting back to that well-known tomb. If I was even to make that sacrifice... And yet there's no love in that. It's a zero. You see, everything is based on God's economy. 
We're trying to please our Heavenly Father. And, and what these verses do for us, I think, is they make us do a heart check. What's going on as I am offering, as I'm serving, as I'm trying to care for others? What's going on in my heart? What we know of God is that He says, I look directly at your heart. You can put on the greatest show ever, and all I see is what's going on in your heart. And I hope that's what it will do for us this morning. That it will help us to evaluate our heart. Because we want to please God. We want to live out in the love of Christ. And I hope as we, as we reflect upon these different traits of love, that we go, huh, how am I doing in this area? What areas do I need to be refined in? Where does God need to do His work in me? Because I know if you're like me, you want to love better. And as we grow in Christ, we, we long to love better. And yet we know we live in the flesh. And so may the Spirit speak to your heart this morning. Because we want to live out life, not that it's a zero, that it's a, a clanging symbol as I wash Anna's feet. Only done for my recognition that you would notice me, but not God being glorified in that act. We want God to receive the glory in everything we do. We want His economy, His kingdom to be built. We want the body of Christ to be edified. We want love to be poured out, real love, that is transformative. You see, because of God's love, we were transformed. And as we live it out, it transforms life. Those who are lost, and it builds up this body of Christ. Revelation 2 speaks to the church of Ephesus, and he says, I know your works, I know your labor. What incredible patience you had. You cannot bear those who are evil, and you've preserved and you've persevered, and you have patience, and you've labored for my namesake. You've not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have forsaken, you have left your first love. All of these things are being done in the flesh. All of these things have left me on the side, Jesus says. God's economy, we gain nothing, we are nothing. And so we want our lives in the kingdom and in the sight of God to have value, eternal value. And we want our love to be pure, and that only comes from the source, which is Christ. And so let's do a heart check this morning. I want you to love, Paul says, this way. He uses that agape love, that, that incredible love that, that speaks to the heart of God. Who is God, John 4, 8? God is love. It's self-sacrificial love. It prompts action. It's what we see in John 3:16. For God so loved the world, He agape loved the world, that He gave His only Son that whoever should believe in him would not perish, but have life everlasting.
Agape love to the cross. Paul says, I want you to have the same love that Christ had, that God has for us. That we are pouring this out. His love has moved into our graveyard and He has announced to anyone who would place their faith in Him as Lord and Savior that they would be raised from the dead and be given eternal life. That's the love of God. And so now let us live out the love of Christ with one another. Love is patient. It's, it does not lose heart. It is long-suffering. It's slow to anger, slow to punish. Love is patient doesn't deal with having patience when we are at the DMV and waiting to get that license or get that registration renewed. And you swear that other guy came after you. It has to deal with people, always. Paul and God are all about relationship, are they not? Patience with one another. Long-suffering with each other. Chrysostom said this, it's a word that's used of a man who is wronged and easily has in his power to avenge himself, and yet he will not take that revenge. Kind of like David in the cave with King Saul. He had the power to take over, and he did not. Patience like this is not a sign of weakness. It's truly strength. In the movie Abraham Lincoln, which many of you saw, and if you've studied Abraham Lincoln's life, <clears throat> he was really an amazing man. But there really was no one in his life who treated him with more contempt than Edward Stanton. Stanton said this of, of Abraham Lincoln. He's a low and cunning clown. He nicknamed him the original gorilla. And in all of those accusations, those names, Lincoln never responded. But when it came time to pick his war minister, he ended up picking Edwin Stanton. He knew he was best for the job. And he worked with him and showed grace to him and was patient with him. And they worked together. Several years later, Abraham Lincoln was killed. And in a room just outside the theater, men were gathered around his dead body. And Edwin said, There lies the greatest ruler of men that the world has ever seen. The patience of love conquers to the end. Love is patient. Are you a patient person? What work is Christ doing in you? Love is patient and it's kind. It is the love of God that shows the sweetness of the Lord. Origen said that it is sweet to all. I think of, of men in this body who I know, I've known for years, and, and two of these guys are just big men. One is Rick Padour, the other is Greg Alexander. They're both, they're both big football linemen, at least they used to be. But they're probably some of the kindest people you'll ever meet. 
They care for people. They're always looking ways to serve and to, to do kind things and to express a kind word. Rick, Rick is, is heads up our ushers and is always here faithfully. And he's just kind. Greg is the same way. And he just has served this body faithfully for years. Jesus was very kind. Can you picture Jesus with Judas? He was so kind to Judas. Up until the very end, when he gave the sop at the table, when he gave that last morsel, which was to be given to the person of respect at the table. Even to the end... Jesus showed kindness. You see, we, we tend to be people who would probably have taken sides with the Pharisees and with the rulers of the land as the woman is thrown down before us just having committed adultery. We probably would have sided with those pointing the finger. How dare you do such a thing? But Jesus was so kind. He didn't condone the sin, did he? You see, we, we, we're in an age of tolerance. Jesus doesn't tolerate sin. But he still is kind. Child, go and sin no more. I love you. Go and sin no more. Love is, Jesus is patient and he is kind. Love does not envy. Envy sort of has a, has a two-sided coin to it. One is, is that we covet others' possessions. The other side is that we actually, we actually resent the fact that others have what we don't have, even if we don't need it. I have a, I have a buddy who, uh, he sells these incredible tractors, like farming tractors. And he has one himself. And it's, I mean, this thing, they're quite expensive, very expensive. And you hop into the, into the driver's seat, and it's like you're playing this, you're like in a jet, you know, it's like a video game, and it's all, I mean, it's really slick. And all of a sudden, I find myself getting envious, like, how come he has a tractor? <laughs> As though Rod Ritchie needs a tractor. <laughs> and you go, how silly is that? We start, we start envying things that, that people have that we don't even need just for the fact that they have it and we don't. Instead of just celebrating, hey, praise God you got that tractor. Come till my yard, you know? <laughs> Let's rejoice with those who, who have good things and, and, and their life, they're, they're celebrating and they're having fun and joy in it instead of us all of a sudden being envious of that. That is not love. Love does not envy. Love does not enter the Thanksgiving Macy's Day Parade. And that's really what it means. Love does not boast that way. It doesn't put itself out there and parade itself. As though, look at all of I've done and look how my salvation and, and how I earned my salvation because of my godliness, which is just incredible. Let me tell you all about it. When we begin to boast, we really are advertising our emptiness and our ignorance. True love is always far more impressed with our own unworthiness 
than our own merit. Somehow we think we've earned our way into God's love. Real love ends up in a place where we are in wonder and awe of the fact that God loves us the way he does. And so we don't sit there and boast and parade ourselves. We should be on our knees in our unworthiness. Love is not puffed up. It's not like a pair of bellows. It's not arrogant. It's humble. We're not inflated of our self-importance. William Carey was once a cobbler, and he became an incredible missionary. One of the greatest missionaries in linguistics that the world has ever seen, actually. And he translated, at least in parts, the Bible in approximately 34 Indian languages. And when he came to India, he was treated with incredible contempt. And he went to a dinner one evening, and one of the folks at the dinner who just couldn't stand him said, oh, I understand that, that you are a shoemaker, just to put him down, put him in his place. And he said, oh, no, sir. I'm just a cobbler. I don't make shoes. I'm just the guy who fixes them. That's all I am. Love is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It shows incredible courtesy. It does not raise a blush. That means that you, you bring into a situation something that will really create embarrassment or, or uncomfortableness for people. Love does not do that. Love is not rude. I want you to think about how you treat your waiters and waitresses. Because I think this is one of the greatest areas of impact that we can have on the world when we go out to eat. And I mean it. People, waitresses and waiters, will see the love of Christ by the way you treat them, with dignity. Are we rude to them? Are we like the French? Garçon! Viens ici, tout de suite. J'ai faim, I'm hungry, so feed me now. How do you treat your waiters and waitresses? Do you get to know their name? Do you actually care about them as a person? Are you demanding upon them? Love is not rude. Love does not seek its own. It doesn't insist upon its rights. You see, we've been studying this in Paul's letters, haven't we? Yeah, you know what? You have the right to eat meat sacrificed to idols in our day. You have the right to have a glass of wine. But it's so worth it to give that right up if it's going to stumble a brother or sister, if it's going to, to raise consciousness for them where they're going, I struggle with this and how the Lord works in the middle of all of this. Paul says in chapter 9, I have the right to earn a wage as, as a pastor. But I give up my rights because I do not want the gospel to be hindered, the good news of Jesus Christ, the fact that he came to die for your sin and that he rose again and that he offers life to you. I will not let anything get in the way of that, so I give up my rights. You see, love gives up our rights. Why? So that God is glorified. You don't think Jesus gave up his rights? He's God. 
in the flesh. And he came as a baby. Gave up everything. So that we could have life. See, that's what love does. It breathes life. And it breathes God's life. It does not seek its own. Philippians 2. Consider others more important than yourselves. More valuable than you. Look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. That's what love is. Love is not provoked. It never flies into a temper. You know, this is an area for me that God has worked on me over many years. And and because I was so quick, especially in my young years as as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, so quick to, to get into a temper. Things weren't going my way. I would just, I would lose it. It was ugly. I mean, if you've seen people get into a temper, it's just ugly. But I would go right there. I would let the flesh take over. And I have a, I have a door in my bedroom uh, that, has a, that has a hole punched into it uh, because I lost my temper over a situation. It was actually a church situation I just wasn't happy about. So the door needed to be punched, I thought. You know, we just let it go. It's ugly. And God needs to do that work. You know, that's with all of these things, right? I hope you're asking yourself the question, Lord, help me here. I struggle in these areas. I want to love like you love, and and yet this is an area of weakness for me. Let us be honest in our faith journey, right? And so God keeps working on me. You know, I coach, I coach football. And man, to be on the sidelines and, and there's a play and the ref makes a terrible call and to hold that in and a lot of times I just wouldn't. What a terrible call that is. How dare you? What is this all about? My goodness. And my other coach would say, Rod, they're just five-year-olds, dude. <laughs> I mean, that's how foolish it looks, Right? Not that I ever did that. (laughs) Love does not have a quick temper like that. When we lose our tempers, you know, oftentimes we lose everything. We do so much damage. And so, praise God, you know what? He's forgiven me and I keep growing. So that's the truth of all these things. We can grow. We, We can grow in Christ. And so my wife, I think, would be the first to say, yeah, I've grown in this area. Help each other out to grow. Love does not take into account wrong suffered. doesn't think upon evil. You know, love, what love really does is it keeps a list of kind things that are done. Not a record of wrongs that have been, in, that have been suffered. It does not cherish in its memory all of the injustices that have gone on. Love has the amazing power to forget. You know, there's some things we have some incredible wounds in life. And they're just hard to forget. But I have really seen over and over again where as people have surrendered those things to Christ, that not only has the person forgiven, and, and also in the power of Christ Sometimes we just need to be able to learn to forgive ourselves. 
And let God remind us that he paid the price for us, too. But as we surrender these things, these painful things, that we actually start to forget. We don't hold on to that in the memory banks as often. A lot of times we just want to keep going right back to it. It's still here. We've got to still keep having it. He says, let that go. You know, it's interesting about our Lord. He says, I came to forgive your sin. And when you stand before me, I say, Jesus says, I have forgotten your sin. So God can do a work in us. And again, it's not, the call is forgive. And then let God do the work on the forgetting part. Call to forgive and let him release that from us. We don't hold it in. It can do incredible impact on lives when we learn to keep no account of wrong. Remember the old Hatfield-McCoy feud? They got into an incredible feud, and actually nobody even quite could figure out what would happen. There was this, there was this incredible uh, war that took place between the two. Some say because the, the, uh, one of them was for the Confederacy, and the others were for the other side, for the Union, and so they were fighting over that. Some say it's because somebody stole some pigs, and so the feud began over that. But in the midst of all of the Hatfield-McCoy feud, over 100 men, women, and children were killed. Unbelievable. But in May 1976, Jim McCoy and Willis Hatfield, they were the last two survivors from their original families. They shook hands at a public meeting before everybody, and they dedicated a monument together to six of the victims who had died. McCoy died February 11, 1984. He was 99 years old. He bore no grudges. And at, at his burial, the burial was handled by the Hatfield Funeral Home for him. Love doesn't keep record of wrongs. Love invades that and brings the life of Christ and of forgiveness into the middle of it. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. We, we praise God for his truth. We don't, we don't, we don't get excited about in, inequity, about sin. But what God has to say in his truth, and we want to live that out, we rejoice in truth and what God has. To weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Love bears all things, like a, a roof that is being supported. It gets under the load. It can bear every insult and injury and disappointment. Bear one another's burdens so as to fulfill the law of Christ. That's especially for us as a body. Bear one another's burdens. Let us be that those beams that support the roof. Love believes all things. It takes God at his word. 
And in view of relationship, it believes the best about other people and what their heart attitude is. You see, oftentimes, this is an area that we really struggle with, is, is we, we get to this place where it's like, they're out to get me. That's why they did what they did, or that's why they forgot that, or, or whatever. They're out to get me. It doesn't believe the best about a person, that they really do care for me, that they typically really love me. They're not out to destroy me. We, we teach in the marriage class that you have an enemy, and it is not your spouse. It's not your spouse. Believe in that which is good. Trust the actions of others. And when they fail, love moves alongside and forgives their sins. As God in Christ has forgiven our sins. Kina was in London just a little while ago. And this is an area of of believing the best of a person. But she got over to London... And, you know, we travel a fair amount. So typically what we'll do when we get to the place, we'll, if we're not together, you know, we'll call each other. Hey, I got here okay, and everything's cool. She gets to London, and she's there for, for five days. I don't hear word one from Kina. Nothing. Nothing on Facebook. I'm expecting all kinds of Facebook pictures. I don't get any text. I don't get any phone calls, you know. I'm pretty sure she's not dead, you know, because if she was, I'd probably get a phone call, you know, to that effect. But I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I start to wrestle in the flesh. I'm like, what is the deal with my wife? She's not being a good wife. This isn't right. How dare she not check in with me? I'm left home alone with three boys. What am I supposed to cook for dinner? I need to talk. And so she comes home five days later, and the Lord had been doing some work in me as I'm waiting for her, which was, hey, Rod, has Kina, does she live this way? And it was kind of like, well, no, I guess not. Does she typically do this? No, I guess not, Lord. But why didn't she call me? And it was just softening my heart to think the best about my wife. And so when she, she got off the plane and I saw her, I just gave her this biggest hug. I'm like, why the heck didn't you call me? (laughs) No, I didn't. But I did ask her the question. I'm like, babe, uh, hello, what happened? And she goes, didn't you get all my texts? And I sent all these pictures, and and when we were at Stonehenge, I was, I'm like, nothing came through. Nothing came through. So I could have believed the worst of my wife the whole time or know exactly who she is and her character and let the Lord do that work. Love believes the best. I think that's one area, especially in our marriages, we need to work on. Love hopes all things, is confident in the hope of Christ. It doesn't despair of anybody and it has hope that Christ is going to do His work in others' lives. Because, you see, God doesn't stop loving us. And he doesn't stop ministering to us. Love hopes all things. It endures. It never gives in. Such love took Jesus to Calvary. 
and the ability to love can only come through the source of Jesus Christ. And so we recall afresh the great love of God that he has shown us in the Lord Jesus. Stop trying to produce these qualities of love in your own strength. It just won't work. Romans 5.5 5 says, The love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given our, to us. And so we yield our lives unto him. And let us love like Christ did. In this last section, verses 8 through 13, it's going to speak to the truth that we live in light of eternity. We're not there yet. We've been given a taste of eternity in the spiritual gifts that have been given in the work of the Spirit. And when it's all boiled down, what we're going to find, the only thing that's left is love. The only thing in God's economy that really matters is love. How have we loved? It says this. Verse 8. Love never fails. If there are gifts of prophecy, they're going to be done away with. If there are tongues, they're going to cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with these childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Verse 13. But now faith, hope, love. These abide, these three but the greatest of these is love. What I believe he's saying is this. While we live here on this planet Earth, God has given us, through the Holy Spirit, these spiritual gifts to, to live and to build the body of Christ and to edify and to care for and to strengthen and to witness to those who are broken along. All these gifts have been given and to glorify God. But you see, everything's going to just be boiled down when the perfect comes. That, that, I think, has the idea of when Christ either returns or when we go to eternity, when everything comes to fulfillment in Christ and the perfect, that which is meant to be most pure, these gifts that we've been empowered for, they're not necessary anymore. Barth says, when the sun rises, all other lights go out. The gifts are important now to, to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. But they'll all fade out in perfection. They won't be necessary anymore. Everything's going to be boiled down to one thing. Love. There will be faith, hope, and love. Love being the greatest. I see now in a mirror dimly. You see, the Corinthians were famous for their mirrors, and they were made out of precious metals. But still, when you looked at it, you would just see, you would just see an image of rod. You sort of get it. It's kind of like looking at a stream at your reflection. You don't get the full picture of everything. But when Christ returns, when we 
enter into perfection, eternity. It's all going to be clear about the kingdom of God, about his love for us, and everything that stands. Because in eternity, you see, God is love. That never fades out. Everything that we do, that we administer with a heart attitude of Christ's love living out through us, that's what's going to stand in eternity. And so verse 14, verse 1 says, Dear saints, pursue, pursue love. Let's pray. Father, again, we long to live in the power of your love for us that you've given to us and the power of the Holy Spirit that we might love each other well. So, Lord, I just pray. I pray for this body of Christ. Father, would you, would you breathe your life into us, your life of love? Father, again, forgive us when we live in the flesh. Forgive us when we just do stuff so that we can be noticed about what we're doing. Give us a heart of service that's pure. And Father, truly, help us to love like you have loved. We thank you, Heavenly Father. We thank you, Jesus, that your love has been poured out upon us. And I pray for those in this room who have not received your love, that you would touch their hearts this morning that they would surrender their life to you and receive you as Lord and Savior. That they would be forgiven. That now that they would have eternal life with you. So Father, Holy Spirit, do your work. Thank you for your love. Amen.